You're listening to a podcast from Victory. Following Jesus requires self-denial and obedience. Learn more about this message in week one of our series, Cross Check. Uh, we are starting a brand new series entitled Cross Check. Uh, this is really about following Jesus. And how many of you are believers and you are followers of Christ? Can you please raise your hand? I believe that's all of us, and um, you know, God called us to follow Him, and uh, we just want to take this next four weeks. What does it mean for us to follow Jesus? And um, uh, we hope that in this series, our people will be able to embrace a life of sacrifice. Uh, I know that this particular topic of sacrifice is not as popular nowadays. We love to hear preachings on prosperity or maybe blessing or provision how many of you are praying god are praying for god to provide and for you to have breakthroughs and that's great okay uh, we just finished our um, series on great faith and uh, we hope and we pray that the the characters that we've talked about in the past few weeks that will be able to emulate their faith as well but uh, we're shifting a bit uh, in this particular series and the reason why it's called cross check is because uh, you know, we want for you to be able to uh, verify your walk with God, your faith with Him, and what you've heard being preached on the pulpit. I know that there's a group of people in the book of Acts called the Bereans. Every time the Apostle Paul would preach, uh, they would actually verify if what the Apostle Paul is teaching is right and correct. And I encourage you to do that. Don't just take my word for it. Go to the Word of God and actually verify and cross-check what we have been talking about. And so when you talk about cross-check, uh, it is to make certain that information or calculation is correct uh, by asking a different source or different person using a different mo mo uh, method of calculation. For example, if you received a message from your FB account, for example, you know, this particular message talks about you being blessed if you will just pass it on to maybe seven or ten people you know, uh, you're actually going to be blessed. You're going to have more money. You know, have you actually verified if that's real? Or if that's like a chain letter or something? Uh, you know, we, we have to somehow challenge whatever it is that we're doing because your faith, uh, your belief basically drives behavior. What you believe today will drive the way you act. And so if you believe, for example, in bad luck, how many of you know that, for example, if, there's a, if you still believe in black cats crossing, a, you know, crossing the street and you don't want to cross anymore because there might be death or bad luck, guess what? You're not going to drive anymore. Okay, but there's a lot of cats in, in our village, for example. And so you know, what you believe would normally would drive behavior. And the reason why we're talking about this is because what do we believe really in Christianity? What is Christianity for us? What does it mean for us to follow Jesus? What does it mean for us to be Christians? What does it mean for us to you know, be saved by the grace of God? And you know, I know that if you are a believer, you, I believe, you believe that you and I are going to heaven. Amen. How many of you would like to go to heaven someday? Someday, right? Not right now, right? Someday we're going to heaven. That's our destination. But do we live our lives on this earth as if we're citizens of heaven? Or do we live our lives here as if we are really citizens of this planet and we don't want to live planet earth anymore? That somehow the way we live our life, our daily routines is more like an accumulation of wealth. That accumulation of money is the only thing that's driving us. 
you know, getting rich or, you know, having more in this life, is that the, is that the reason why God has saved us? Or is there other things why He saved us? Is it possible for us to be living a life of suffering or self-denial or maybe difficulty or hardship? Not that we're praying for that every day, right? I'm sure that you're not praying for that. I'm not praying for that every day. But if it does come, how's our response? How do we view suffering in Christianity? How do we view difficulties? And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about this afternoon, self-denial. And you know, in the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at what does it mean for us to follow Jesus? And so we're going to go ahead and read the text for us this afternoon. If you have your Bibles, would you kindly open to the book of Mark chapter 8? It's the second book of the New Testament, uh, second gospel, Matthew, and then Mark, okay? Chapter 8, verse 34 to 38, okay? So if you are there, I'd like to invite everyone to stand as we give reverence to the Word of God. Mark chapter 8. 34 to 38. In fact, I'd like to invite everybody to read uh, this text out loud, all of us um, just reading it in, in unison, okay? Would you do that? Verse 34, Mark chapter 8. Ready? Begin. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Forever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this, in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the preaching of your word, and we ask that you would use this as a, Lord, as a way of the Holy Spirit speaking to us. Change us from the inside out. And I thank you, Lord, that you will even give us a better picture of what does it mean for us to follow Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you will make ourselves ready to, Lord, share our testimony and even uh, represent you well wherever we are, whether it's in our, in our home, our business, our school, God. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, you will give us a spirit of wisdom to know you better. And we thank you, Lord, God, that you will bless the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may all be seated. All right, so when you talk about the book of Mark, and we might go back and forth between Mark and John uh, in the next few weeks. Uh, the book of Mark is uh, the shortest gospel in, among the four. Uh, there are three synoptic gospels. When you say synoptic, these are like uh, parallel gospels. They have similar accounts, though said differently. Uh, Mark is not one of the original 12 apostles, okay? He was the traveling companion of the apostle Peter. And so uh, most of the uh, information and testimony about Jesus came from Peter. It's as if that he is the writer of the gospel and Peter is the one that's dictating, okay? And so uh, most of the... Contents of his gospel really came from Peter, and he is known to be the gospel of the gospel writer of action. 
he was writing towards the Romans, and he, he's basically addressing the Roman Empire, the Roman citizens, and that's why they were not interested in the genealogy of Christ. You'll never find any genealogy here like Matthew or, or Luke. Um, there's no reference to the Old Testament prophets because uh, all that he wanted to show to them is that Jesus is the Son of God and the one who suffered for our sins and that he's able to heal and do a lot of miracles. That's why in this particular gospel, you see a lot of actions, okay? Uh, you see, you know, blind being able to see, lame walking, you know, the multiplication of bread and fish and so, so on and so forth. And so that's the gospel of Mark. Now, uh, two years ago, or three years ago, we actually um, uh, visited Israel, particularly uh, this particular place in Caesarea Philippi. These were the, the setting of this uh, conversation of Christ is with uh, with uh, disciples. And in this particular uh, caves, this is actually known to be like the different, uh, it's like a smorgasbord of different gods, okay? Uh, you know, back in the day, they would actually go to this because they would uh, worship, you know, they have like different gods, the pan god, the one half, half man, half goat, and there's the uh, nymphas, and there's different kinds of gods. And so basically, Jesus is challenging the belief system of that day and age, and he is claiming that he is the Messiah. And so the background of this particular story that we've read earlier is that Jesus, together with his disciples and a small crowd following him, he was asking them, he was taking a quick SWS survey, okay? It was not really election during that time, but he was taking a quick survey among them, you know? You know, uh, who do people say I am? So he was taking this uh, quick SWS survey, and so... They're saying, you know, some are saying you're John the Baptist, some are saying you're Elijah, some are saying you're one of the prophets, but there's this Peter. How many of you are familiar with Peter? Peter is this big, bold, brash, one of the disciples. He stood up and said, you are the Christ. Wow. So, you know, he, was, he actually was able to say, wow, what an amazing answer because, yeah, they're right when they were saying you're one of the prophets, you're one of the teachers, but you what, you know, you're able to find out, but Jesus reminded him, you know, flesh and blood did not tell you this. It was my heavenly Father who told you this. Just want to remind you, it did not come from you. It came from my heavenly Father. And so that was like the statement of faith. So they were all excited because, you know, somehow they knew for a fact that Jesus is coming as a king. Uh, they were sick and tired of the Roman Empire, and they were praying, and they were somehow expecting that this Jesus, this leader who was, you know, mighty teacher, a miracle worker is able to lead them and bring about change in the government that they were somehow expecting, a political government. And then Jesus, in the, uh, in the, in the next verse, in verse 31, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer. Everybody say suffer. You know, they were just talking about ruling and governing and reigning and, you know, the kingdom of God advancing. And then now you're talking about suffering? I might be in the wrong chapter here. You know, maybe the disciples got confused a little bit because now he's talking about that he will suffer many things, that he will be rejected by the elders and that the chief priests and the scribes and he will be killed. Somehow their hopes were dashed because, you know, they were expecting, you know, one's expecting to be the, you know, senator here or maybe the other one is positioning himself to be a secretary of the department of whatever, okay? So, so they're jockeying for position and yet, yet this Jesus, their leader, is now talking about him dying. But yet at the same time, after three days, he will rise again from the dead. 
And in verse 31, it says, and he said this very plainly. He was not talking about any anecdotes. He was not talking about, you know, uh, referring to any uh, parables. He was talking about himself. And so Peter, the one who just said, you are the Christ, maybe he was so bold because, you know, I got it right the first time. Let me just rebuke this guy. How many of you have have tried rebuking the Lord, okay? And so Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. You're mistaken when you said, you know, you're not going to die, you know, something like that. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Can you imagine? At one point, he was being honored before the disciples. The next time, he's talking about him being Satan. Wow. And then he said, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Because Jesus was dead set in his purpose why he came here on earth. He didn't come here to just to rule as king. He came here first and foremost to save that which was lost. And that's all of us. He came here to be a suffering servant. And that's really what the picture of uh, the gospel writer Mark was picturing who Jesus was. The Son of God who was to suffer for our sins and one day who will be the sacrificial lamb who will pay the penalty for our sins. He will make perfect those who are imperfect. He will actually, you know, make provisions for us. And how many of you realized that Jesus Christ has given His best for all of us? Amen. You know, the reason why you and I will be able to love much is only when you have that revelation of how much sin you've committed and that you have been forgiven the greatest sin of all that anyone can commit. And when you receive much love and much forgiveness, that gives us the ability to love others as well and forgive. And so Jesus somehow rebuked the, 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 the devil, rebuked Peter and called him, you know, you don't have the things of God. You always have in your mind the things of man. And then now we proceed to this statement or this verse that we've just read earlier and calling the crowd to him so there must be a crowd following him he was setting this the 12 aside and then there's a crowd following then he turned to them and he gave an invitation he said if anyone would come after me jesus was giving a blanket invitation have you ever been invited by a vip how many of you love, you know, you enjoy going to weddings or maybe, you know, you, you, you know if somebody, somebody invites you, you know, you, somehow, wow, you feel so special. You know, you feel privileged that you're attending, you know, especially if that's a good friend or somebody who's, you know, known. Uh, last Friday, I was actually invited to a wedding, not just to attend a wedding, but to actually co-officiate uh, the wedding, Co-officiate means uh, there's another pastor who's going to officiate the wedding. So, uh, and mind you, there, was, there were not just two pastors officiating the wedding. There were like three pastors officiating the wedding. Interestingly, I called it a Trinitarian wedding. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Anyway, so, so there we are. We were there in front. It was in Phil and Best Tent, just very near here, uh, last Friday afternoon. And the reason why it was uh, me being invited, and two other pastors is because the, the lady, the bride, attends this church, our congregation here in Akasha. And the groom attends CCF Maine. And so 
the other pastors who actually officiated were Pastor Peter Tanchi and his son Paul. So it's Peter, Paul, and George and Ringo. No, no, uh, and Ariel, okay? And so, okay, uh, I get the point. I guess my question to the couple is, where will you go after the wedding? No, I'm just kidding, okay? Uh, you should come to victory. Uh, I, I'm already convinced, okay, that, that the lady is going to follow the man, okay? But anyway, it was just a privilege, you know, because we were doing this wedding. It was a nice wedding. Uh, and I get to be invited, you know, sitting with uh, and officiating the wedding with Pastor Peter. Have you ever been invited into a, an occasion that is really just important? Maybe a dinner? Can you imagine? What would your feeling be if it's a dinner, state dinner? You're invited. You receive this invitation from Malacanang. And out of, you know, uh, the business people in your town, there's like five who's invited. And you specifically, okay, was chosen to be part of that group. How many of you would you'd feel special with that? Jesus is giving an invitation to the crowd at that time. If you would come and follow me, you're to do these things. Of course, there are, you know, there are invitations that we're excited to go to, whether it's a wedding or a dinner or maybe a concert, free concert, or maybe, can you imagine if you have been given like premium tickets or premium tickets of the NBA All-Star Game? Front seat, front row. That's going to be amazing, right? But there are probably some occasions that you're not excited to attend, right? Maybe somebody invites you to a, I don't know, maybe a networking uh, uh, seminar or whatever, or maybe a fundraising uh, dinner, you know. Uh, there are some occasions that we are gang-ho, we want to attend, but there are some that, uh, maybe not. When I was in college, I was invited several times to attend this Bible study, in victory, and I said, I don't want to go. You know, it's not cool. You know, I was I was sophomore student. You know, college. I said, I don't need this thing. You know, I grew up as a good Christian Catholic. You know, and I was being invited, and you know, I I was not attracted. There's this classmate of mine who's been egging, who's been egging me. Okay, you know, I want you to come. And then the next time he invited me, you know, there's a lot of beautiful girls attending that Bible. Oh, really? That motivated me. Okay. I actually went, okay, and I got saved. Anyway, the rest is history. Uh, so Jesus is giving an invitation, but are we willing to accept the invitation of Christ? Because there's a price to pay. How I wish, yeah, Christianity, salvation is free, but yet the paradox is it will cost you everything. First thing about this invitation is God is calling us to deny ourselves. There's self-denial that is somehow expected as we follow Jesus. He said in the same verse, if anyone would come after me, let him what? Deny himself. And this is not something that we are excited about. Denying oneself is hard. <clears throat> Denying oneself is, <clears throat> it requires sacrifice. You know, when we fasted first, uh, you know, uh, First month of the year, we fasted five days. Uh, that's how many of you that is denying oneself. You're used to eating a feast during the holidays, and then suddenly, boom, it stopped. It's like cold turkey. Don't eat anything. Okay? Um, that's denying oneself. 
But yet, we know that there are times that the reason why people are okay denying themselves is because there's a greater motivation why they are willing to deny oneself. It is contrary to the message or the culture that we now live because, you know, Jesus is saying, if you are willing to follow me, you are to deny yourself, yet this culture in our generation nowadays is talking about me, me, me. It's talking about, you know, a selfie generation. And I'm not attacking any generation particularly, okay? I know that you may be a young person here, and yeah, this is actually a feature, feature on Time Magazine. But I believe that this somehow has impacted all of us, not only the millennials. How many of you are millennials? Please raise your hand. Millennials. How many of you have millennia? You millennia nito dasa. Millennia, okay? You may actually be part of the X, Generation X, or the baby boomers, but that somehow the message of our generation, our culture nowadays, is preserve yourself, advance, be the best you. As it's a selfie generation, we're so consumed about how we will be able to make sure that we are protected and we are advancing and we are and that's there's nothing wrong with that somehow in fact one of the biggest as i said in the, my previous messages is you know one of the biggest section in the bookstore is now the self-help books you know how to cook for dummies or how to be a dummy or whatever okay so there's so this dummy books you know it's a self-help books Somehow you want to learn new skills, how to speak French like a dummy, okay, or whatever, okay? So you all have this thing, and there's, yeah, we, we want to grow in, you know, among us, but yet somehow it's all a consumerism type, hedonistic type of uh, thinking. It's me, my, and mine. And somehow this is what the Apostle Paul has been warning that in the last days will happen, and he was talking about this, he was writing the apostle uh, uh, Timothy, and we will find that in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 to 4, and somehow a description of the people in the last days. Is he referring to this me or selfie type of generation? For people will be lovers of self. Fee. There's another generation, lovers of self, or selfie generation. The new code right now is before you start dinner, you don't pray anymore, you take a picture. You take a selfie <clears throat> with your food there. Lovers of money. Definitely not you. Look at the person beside you, not you. You don't love money, but you surely like it a lot, okay? Uh Proud. How many of you know people that are like this? Proud to be humble. And we can go on. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul somehow put a, a sibling of pride? You know, proud na arrogant pa. There's proud. They're, they're arrogant. They are abusive with their speech. Abusive in their Work ethics, abusive with the way they practice their business, abusive. Should I continue? 
disobedient to their parents. How many of you know people like that? Don't, parents, don't use this as a weapon for your kids, okay? Disobedient to their parents, even us who are elderly. Do we honor them? Ungrateful is another description of this generation. The opposite of ungrateful is, in Tagalog, ingrato. Okay, it's complainers. Another, surely not us. We don't complain, right? We don't complain if there's no parking. We don't complain if it's a little bit too hot. We don't complain about the government. We don't complain if there's a lot of traffic. We don't complain. We're grateful, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Chura lang nila. Thank you, Lord God, for this, you know, for this church. Thank you for my family. We're grateful. Unholy. Holy means set apart. Unholy means common. Unholy means you are just like the rest of the world. Another way for saying unholy is there's worldliness. Interesting that lately we see a lot of, you know, people from the world acknowledging the man upstairs, but Christians are not really acknowledging God. The world is becoming too churchy, and sometimes the church is becoming a little bit worldly. Heartless. Buti pa ang saging may puso. Do you know people like this? Heartless in their, in their way, in their manners. Unappeasable. Do you know what this means? There's no satisfaction. Unappeasable, you know. Insatiable, maybe. Slanderous. Slanderous is actually spreading out false and malicious statements about another person that's slanderous. Root word is slander. Another way to say is you are a gossiper. Do you know people like this? Maybe not us, right? Without self-control. Brutal. Not loving good. In other words, always looking for ways to do evil. That's the opposite. Uh, that's a, that's, sorry, that's a synonym. Treacherous, involving betrayal or deception. Reckless, without thinking or caring about the consequence of one's action. Reckless or rash. You talked about this last week, right? One particular judge who was part, not judge, like judge, Old Testament judge, who was part of the Hebrews 11 by the name of Jephthah, made a rash, reckless vow before the Lord that if he will have the victory, he will sacrifice the first thing that comes out of his house. And that thing or person that came out is his only daughter. Reckless in the way we say things. Reckless in the way we make decisions. The opposite of reckless is prudence. Having the ability to wait on God. Swollen with conceit. I like this. Namamagasayabang. <laughs> can you imagine the can you imagine the Tagalog term for this? <laughs> Swollen with conceit. This is the ESV version, huh? Have you ever entered a room and you saw somebody? Pagpasok mo palang gini ginaw ka na. Italagang woo, you know, full of himself. Swollen with conceit. 
lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God. You know, Pastor, as you enumerated that, I'm not really like that. You know, I'm a, you know, I am a committed member of Victory. I am a volunteer here. You know, I am an usher in the morning. I am a kids' church teacher in the afternoon. I have five victory groups, you know. And I don't want to just attend the Akasha service. I also attend the Saturday festival service. You know, I'm not one of those. I actually, you know, I am a godly person. Okay, let's move on to the next verse. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Wow. Somehow, you know, we look at our Christianity and we need to cross-check. What message has it been, have we been hearing? Is it really all about us, you know, prospering, you know, just name it and claim it and then you should, you, you're going to have it if you just confess enough. If you just have enough faith, things would be better. And, I, you know, actually, we talked about great faith and some of those actually were killed by the sword and they suffered but yet they had faith. So we, you know, we, we somehow are being challenged nowadays. What's the message that we're hearing? We live in a hedonistic society somehow. The pursuit of pleasure is almost like a mantra or a priority as long as, you know, I'm going to advance, as long as I'm going to be successful. You know, I want to have the maximum pleasure, sensual self-indulgence. Denying yourself is equivalent to dying to self. Really, it's advancing the agenda and the will of God instead of our agenda. You know, when we deny ourselves, it means that we're not even concerned about our reputation. And this is somehow related to the second point called sacrifice. Everybody says sacrifice. We don't like to sacrifice much. We like the easy way and the easy route. After denying oneself, Jesus said to take up his cross. To sacrifice means to take up our cross. What does it mean for us to take up our cross? You know, sometimes we don't know exactly what the cross means, okay? We're familiar, Pastor, I'm taking my cross every day. I have a cross ball pen. You know, I'm not talking about that cross, okay? Maybe you have a crucifix. Maybe you have an ornament. You know, nowadays when you look at the cross, it's a symbol of Christianity, and that's great. But in the first century... When Jesus was talking to the disciples about taking up their cross, their face probably sang because what do you mean taking up your cross? They're because they're familiar with the cross during that time. When they would walk along the streets, there's probably criminals that are being crucified right there because the cross is the most excruciating form of death used by the Roman Empire. It is the most excruciating and most shameful way to die because it's a public execution. And they used the cross in order to punish criminals, traitors, those who are against the Roman empires. And Jesus himself is using that analogy of taking up, your, you want to follow me? You want to be a follower of Christ? Then die. Look at the person beside you. Take up your electric chair. It's like, you know, it's like, it's like saying that. Or take the little injection. It's not a popular message. What message have been, we've been hearing lately about following Jesus? Basically, we're demanded to take up our crosses every single 
day. Not just once, but every day. I know this is a hard message. You need to cross-check. You know, I've been hearing a lot of podcasts about, you know, about videos on what Christianity is all about. And Jesus himself came from his mouth. If you want to be a disciple of Christ, pick up your cross, deny yourself, follow me. When you talk about the cross, cross simply means suffering. And I know that when you talk about suffering, we're not exempt from suffering. We see a lot of people suffering nowadays. Just look around us. In the nation of the Philippines, there's a lot of people suffering. They're either suffering from poverty, suffering from pain, suffering from sickness, suffering from, you know, all sorts of things. And the suffering that Jesus is talking about is not just suffering for suffering's sake. There are people who are suffering because of their own sins. And he's not referring to that. But what he's referring to is, are you suffering for the sake of the gospel of Christ? That is the suffering that he is referring to. Have you ever suffered for the gospel? Have you ever been persecuted? The disciples, they were willing to go to the cross. In fact, most of them, with the exception of John, were martyred to death. Peter was crucified upside down. They suffered for the gospel. And that's the meaning of the cross. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but for us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What is the biggest persecution or you know, thing that you've received for the gospel lately? Maybe not much. I praise God that we have freedom in the Philippines. You know, you can actually preach the gospel anywhere. Maybe the most is maybe from your family, I guess. One of my friends uh, earlier when we were, um, you know, like young believers, uh, his father, when he found out that this friend of mine became a Christian, basically he was kicked out of the house. That was just during the 80s. I haven't really heard lately if people are being kicked out of the house because they became believers. I was in a wedding, as I said, last Friday, and in my table were Catholics, the relative of the bride. And somehow they said, you know what, I enjoy going to your church. That's the thing that I hear nowadays. You know, I get more from you than attending the Mass. Something like that. They, they actually said that. You know, I can endure the two-hour services. I love hearing the message. I'm not really sure if this is just happening in this decade. But back in the 80s, somehow, the, you know, the... The suffering or the, you know, so the, the persecution is a little bit more intense, but not as intense as going to China or going to a Middle Eastern country. Here in the Philippines, you don't really lose your life, at least if you're you know, raised up in a Catholic background, for the gospel. But have we represented God well in our business? Maybe for us, the application of this is to suffer means to stand up for what is right. If you're a business person, if there's a lot of opportunities for you to enrich yourself by cutting down on tax or maybe avoiding tax or maybe evading tax or using another book in order for you to save on taxes, maybe suffering means I'm going to pay the right tax and follow Jesus because I know that I represent Him well. Suffering may mean actually paying the right wages for my employees. That may be suffering. Because nowadays, you don't like to suffer. You know, it's always like, you know, I want the easy way, you know, I want the easy route. 
the past three months, we don't have helpers, and uh, we somehow have uh, responsibilities or chores for the, for the girls. And, you know, somehow, the, my two younger daughters don't like washing dishes. Okay? And so we tell them, you know, maybe tonight somebody will wash the entire dish, whether you ate on that plate or not. Because what they're saying is, I'm going to wash my own plate. That's it. Both of them. And sometimes what they do is they get paper plates <laughs> so that they don't have to wash. It's a me generation. Amen. And so we teach them how to consider others better than themselves. The simplest way to suffer really is by serving others, by being selfless. And can you imagine if this is being felt by our young generation? How about us today? Jesus himself is talking about this. The Apostle Paul was describing Christ. Be like, be, be like Christ you know, in a way that he did not consider himself better than, you know, he, uh, better than others, but he sacrificed. He was a servant even to the point of death. In Luke chapter 14, verse 27, it says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it's, Paul wrote, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We're to die to self. It talks about our old life. It talks about your life of sin. That you're no longer the same person that you used to be. To suffer means and to sacrifice means that you are dead to sin and alive in Christ. You know, as a pastor, I not only enjoy going to weddings, but from time to time I had to go through some funerals and do some memorial services. But when you look at a person who passed away and a person who died, one common thing about dead people is they don't move. I hope not. <laughs> they don't open their eyes when you look at the coffin. They don't feel anything. They don't show any emotions. They don't show a frown on their face or maybe a smile on their face. They're just steady because they're already dead. And one thing about sacrifice, even when the Bible is talking about sacrifice in the Old Testament, is anything that is sacrificed is dead after the sacrifice happens. And when Jesus is talking about us going to the cross and suffering and sacrifice, guess what? It means that you and I are dead to ourselves and alive in Christ. Look at a person beside you and tell that person, you are dead. To sin, to sin, okay? And alive in Christ. It means that we're no longer celebrating our old life but we are celebrating and following a new life in Christ. And you know what? It is tough. It is hard to say no to sin in a culture that is so liberal in the way they practice sin. Maybe you're working in a call center. It's normal for, you know, for some you know, centers. Maybe it's, if it's allowable for that office to, you know, to just slip around, guess what? As a Christian and as a single individual, what you're saying is, I am going to, to suffer by saying no to sin 
and preserve my virginity until God gives me the right person. That is what suffering is all about. It's not just talking about you receiving a cross, you know, you know, you know, dying, you know, maybe being killed for the gospel. Maybe it's the daily walk is a suffering. You have to endure that every single day. There's so much temptations in the office. And last point is steadfastness. First, we are to deny ourselves, self-denial. Second, we are to live a life of sacrifice by taking up our cross. Third, He expects us to be steadfast in our walk with Him. That's why the last statement of Jesus is, after denying yourself, after taking up your cross, just follow me. Follow you where? Follow me until you go to heaven. In other words, be steadfast in your walk with God. You know, we don't just make a decision once and that's it. Christianity is a daily thing. We walk every single day, picking up our cross every day. You know what? Guess what? There's a sacrifice that happens every day. Every single day, we choose to, you know, to live a life, of, uh, you know, a life pleasing to God and a life that is devoid, you know, devoid of sin. You know, when I uh, gave my vows to my wife 29 years ago, I said to her, Till death do us part, in sickness and in health, for richer or for poor, hopefully for richer. <laughs> in all the sufferings and pain, I'm going to love you. And I said those words. Guess what? I said those words 29 years ago, and I'm still doing it until today. That's called steadfastness. I love you. <laughs> and it's called steadfast. It's not about us. I believe it should be all of us. All married people, you know, the moment you said to your spouse, I love you, don't stop loving them. You know, I said this to you when we got married, and I'll tell you when I changed my mind. You know, you don't do that. Constantly assure them and affirm them your love for them. And that's what Jesus is expecting us to do. Denying ourselves every single day. Taking up a cross by being sacrificial of ourselves, by dying to self, and by being steadfast. You know, in the Amplified Version, it's talking about follow me continually, cleaving steadfastly to me and no other gods. If I may use the title of a book that we're reading, it's a long obedience in the same direction. That is what steadfastness is all about. You obey God by starting your walk with Him until God takes us to heaven. We are continuing to follow and walk this path with Him. Dying to self is a proof that you are living for God. That's why when you talk about following Jesus, you don't just follow Jesus once, you follow Jesus every single day. And what's the motivation of us following Him? You know, He said this in the remaining verses of, you know, that we read a while ago. He said, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. It's a paradox of life. You want to have life? Lose it. Right? And how do you, you know, I said, you know, Pastor, how do you do that? Because Jesus said in John 10, 10, you know, He came to give us life and life to the full. Yes, that is life eternal. He'll give you life that is full. But if you want to have that, you must be willing to lose it. Lose everything that this world has to offer. 
You know, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man gain in return for his soul? I was reminded of the rich young ruler when he was asking the Lord, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus said, do not murder, you know, do not adultery, do not steal. And he said, you know, I've done this since I was a young man, a young boy. And then he said, one thing you lack, go sell yourself, sell yourself go sell your possession and give to the poor. And he was not willing to do that. He was not willing to lose what he had. I'm not really sure if in the end he turned around, but we see the gospel message him walking away from Jesus. Jesus was sad because he loved him, the Bible says. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of the Father with the holy angels. Are we willing to stand up for Jesus and represent him and be a witness for him everywhere we go? The reality is people don't have to wait for you to speak. They just watch you. If they know you're a Christian, they just watch your life. They watch the way you talk. They watch the way you treat your kids. They watch the way you treat your wife. They watch the way you work. They, they know exactly if you are late as a Christian. They know if you're cheating in the exam, if you're a you know, student. They watch you. The, the, the watching world is out there. How are we representing Jesus every single day? I want to end with this story, and I'd like to call the music team here on stage. You know, three years ago, as I said, we went to Israel and one of the things that I enjoyed visiting was the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the place when Jesus was praying before the Father. He was asking the Lord if the cup can be taken away from him. And remember that account when he was sweating with blood already? This was the place. And in this place, it's covered with olive trees. The symbol of Israel is olive. And olive tree is only known for one thing, the olive fruit. What they say is that the olive tree will not be able to produce fruit unless it experiences the harsh winds from the east and at the same time experiences the gentle winds from the west. In order for the olive to bear fruit, it has to experience both. Harsh winds from the east, gentle winds from the west. And as humans, I believe that we will not be able to maximize our potential until we go through life and experience all the harsh elements that life brings us, especially for the gospel, and also the good encouraging words of the community and the people around us. And there we bear fruit. But another thing about the olive fruit is this. Once the olive tree produces that fruit, that fruit that it produces normally is hard and bitter. And that fruit by itself is going to be useless until something cracks it open and softens soften it. And that's why the olive fruit is normally brought into the olive press in order for it to crack and be softened. And I believe that our life is like that as well. Your fruit will always be tested by the pressures of life. And the outcome of this fruit somehow is interesting because yeah, maybe some of us eat olive for our pasta but the main ingredient the main fruit really is the olive oil extra virgin 
And olive oil, yes, it's used for cooking, but the main use during those times is really for light. They use it to produce light. And I believe that this is exactly how our life ought to be. As we go through life, as we deny ourselves, as we live a life of sacrifice, as we suffer, somehow our hardness will be softened. And our very life will produce this kind of oil that will bring about light for the world to see. That's why in Matthew chapter 6, it talks about, let your light shine before men so that they will glorify your heavenly Father in heaven. Christ died for our sins shamefully so that we may follow him shamelessly. May we live our life every single day steadfast in our walk with him but at the same time willing to pick up our cross and suffer and sacrifice for the sake of the gospel and deny ourselves as we follow Christ let's bow our heads right now as we end this service Father we are so grateful for this afternoon and we thank you Lord that you are the one who constantly strengthens each and every one of us God Lord, for those of us who are going through such suffering and pain, maybe persecution, we pray for grace upon their life, God. I pray also for a steadfastness in our faith. I'd like to ask everyone to stand up and lift up our hands before the Lord. Father, thank you so much. You will impart to your people even right now a steadfast love for you that every single day that our hearts would just be fully devoted to you, God. And may we glorify you in our speech, in our mind, with our mouth, with our motives, with the way we live our lives. May we live our lives as a pleasing sacrifice, as an aroma to you, Lord God. And this is our spiritual act of worship. Thank you, Lord. You just heard a podcast from Victory. For more messages like these, or to access other resources, please visit our website at victory.org.ph or like our page on Facebook at facebook.com slash victoryph.